you are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Chicago Bears made Mitchell Trubisky's fifth-year option a bigger deal than it needed to be by waiting so long to decline it. Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On Bears podcast brought to you by Built Bar. I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I'm an analyst for Pro Football Focus, and I cover the Chicago Bears for Bears Wire. I'm here to bring you your daily Chicago Bears news and analysis. Today we're looking at the Bears' decision to decline Mitchell Trubisky's fifth-year option and how that sets the stage both for the quarterback competition and the 2020 season. We'll also look at how this quarterback market has played out overall and whether or not the Bears were too quick to jump in and trade for Nick Foles. And then we'll wrap up circling back to second-round pick Jalen Johnson from Utah, going into his injury situation a little bit with the shoulders and where he is in terms of progress this offseason. On Saturday, General Manager Ryan Pace officially declined to accept the fifth-year option on Mitchell Trubisky's contract, which will automatically ensure that the young quarterback becomes a free agent after this upcoming 2020 season. So Trubisky is officially in a contract year, officially playing for that next deal, and could be very well in his last season in Chicago. It's a little bit early to lock that in stone necessarily, but there's a clear effort here to light a fire under Trubisky get him to step up his level of play because at this point there's nothing else holding him onto this team. It is time to put up or shut up and it will really define what the rest of his career is going to look like depending on what happens in this quarterback competition and what he's able to do in 2020. Now it was a decision that I don't think came as a huge surprise to very many of us We've sort of been expecting this ever since they said we want to bring in competition for Trubisky. Ever since the Nick Foles trade was official, there was all these signs that, hey, the Bears aren't 100% sold on Trubisky as their long-term quarterback option. And so it's sort of just been a matter of time. And all throughout the offseason, the Bears have sort of dodged and declined to answer whether or not they were planning on accepting or declining this fifth-year option. Even it started the first press conference after the season, and pretty much every time Ryan Pace would say, we have until early May to decide, so we're going to decide that more when we get a little bit closer to that date. Despite, in years past, deciding on, say, originally accepting Leonard Floyd's fifth-year option was something they had decided in the January of last year before ultimately changing their mind again this year, but it was something a decision they made very quickly to accept that fifth-year option initially with Leonard Floyd, and yet they continually put the, the postponement on deciding for it for Trubisky. And it just kind of became a thing where every time it was like, is are they going to make a decision? Are they going to make a decision? And it kind of built up to be a little bit more of a not a controversy necessarily, but just a focus of attention that kind of felt unnecessary to do. Like, did did something change within the last month, within the last couple weeks, within the last three months? Has much changed in terms of whether or not they thought they would be picking up that fifth-year option? And especially even right before the draft. It was the next time 
Brian Pace had met with the media since Nick Foles had come aboard. I mean, they had done a, a press conference after trading for Nick Foles, but there, he had had opportunities, and the quarterback position hasn't really changed since those opportunities to decline or accept that option, and yet continued to push that back and, and delay it. So I don't understand a lot of the logic there behind waiting so long to make this decision. And, it, you know, it wasn't like it was the only way they could have gone with this. I mean, I understand that they could have done what they did with Leonard Floyd, accepted the fifth-year option now, and then they would have until March of next year to still rescind it and let Trubisky have a free agent period just be gone from the team like it was with Leonard Floyd. That at least gives you some security and flexibility that if somehow, some way, Trubisky puts together a very strong 2020 season and they would want him back in 2021, you know, that fifth year option would still be there in their back pocket. But it also would send the wrong impression of almost rewarding Trubisky for below average and subpar quarterback play. Like accepting that fifth year option is sort of another like, we believe in you sentiment and not that they don't believe in Trubisky but it it's almost feels like too much of a reward for a player that needs to be better and needs to prove something more so it it felt like with that not only with Foles but then with the need for pressure on Trubisky that the Bears hands were more or less tied through this whole process that it was only a matter of time before they declined to that fifth year option and I still haven't heard a good explanation as to why they took so long to make that decision it's not the end of the world it's not a earth-shattering thing for the franchise. It just is one of those kind of like head-scratchers that ultimately could have been handled a little bit better and not have been built up to be such a monumental-feeling decision where now everybody was talking about the Bears not accepting Mitch Trubisky's fifth-year option, whereas if they'd done it right after trading for Nick Foles, it'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Let's move on. Next story. But the Bears' whole quarterback situation as a whole I think has really kind of been brought back into focus as we see this late quarterback market here developing after the draft. So still to come on the podcast, we'll look at what's been going on with Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston, and Cam Newton, and whether or not the Bears went a little bit too early in trading for Nick Foles, rather than seeing how the rest of this would play out. Keep it locked, right here on Locked On Bears. I don't know about you, but it hasn't been easy for me to avoid the quarantine 15 here. Just not quite eating as healthy, spending so much time at home. But what's really been saving me lately are built Bars. And I gotta be honest, I was skeptical at first. You know, when people say it tastes, it's a protein bar, but it tastes just like a candy bar, I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. But I tried one, and then I tried two, and I tried three, and I tried four, not all at the same time, but... Oh my God, they are so good. It, it really does taste like a candy bar. Like it's not, it's not as overly sweet, but it's got that like Milky Way, Three Musketeers type consistency, but they're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and uh, every flavor I've had has been great. I really love the coconut and the banana, but I still have a few more flavors to try. And if you want to try them out for yourself, trust me, you will taste the difference Go to BuiltBar.com, that's B-U-I-L-T, BuiltBar.com, and use our promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your first order. I've actually already used a LOCKEDON promo code from this to get myself another box. Promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. 
It feels like we're going to look back at this 2020 offseason as one of potentially missed opportunities for the Chicago Bears at the quarterback position. And it never quite felt like the Bears were all in on a pure upgrade at the position. They weren't seemingly pursuing the likes of Tom Brady and Phillip Rivers, you know, guaranteed well, potential future Hall of Famer for Philip Rivers, but guaranteed starters, pro bowlers, high-level veteran quarterbacks that would be guaranteed upgrades over Mitchell Trubisky. The conversation with the Bears and quarterbacks was always around guys who would compete with Trubisky and maybe, and perhaps probably, but not be as sure of a, a better upgrade. I think Nick Foles is an upgrade over Mitchell Trubisky. I think Andy Dalton would have been an upgrade over Mitchell Trubisky. We were also talking about guys like Case Keenum in that mix, which again, probably would have been an upgrade, but would have had to come in a competition. That that would seem to be more the framework the Bears were going from rather than seeking a direct true upgrade. And as we've seen this quarterback market play out, it hasn't made the Bears process look any better. And it a lot of this can now start to be hindsight, which is difficult to you know, say, well, yeah, if we had known X, Y, and Z, yes, but at the time, we thought that X, Y, and Z was a possibility, and it felt like the Bears didn't capitalize the market in the best way in giving up a fourth-round pick to then still pay Nick Foles $17 million guaranteed over the next three seasons, because we saw... Jameis Winston signed with the New Orleans Saints as a backup quarterback for just over $1 million with a few more million dollars of incentives built in there. And then we just saw Andy Dalton sign with the Dallas Cowboys to be their backup. That one a little bit less inexpensive, a little bit more expensive. It's $3 million guaranteed up to $7 million depending on how much playing time and things he gets this season. I think there's some some flexibility in there in terms of what kind of money he's going to get, but valued at $7 million for this one year, which is similar to what the Bears will be paying Nick Foles in 2020 as part of that renegotiated contract that brought his guaranteed money down to $17 million. It's only about a $6.3 million cap hit for the Bears this season for Foles. So it's certainly affordable in the short term, but when you look at what all of these quarterbacks had available to them from a contract standpoint, it, it never quite leaves the Bears looking in a great light. So of course, first and foremost, you know, Jameis Winston was not signing with the Bears on a one-year deal for $1 million like he did in New Orleans, right? I mean, this was sort of, he got that contract as a result of the way the rest of the market played out. So I, I'm willing to, you know, to concede that, you know, that that's tor- that sort of a deal wasn't necessarily going to happen. Now, could they have waited out? You know, say the Bears don't trade for Nick Foles right away, and Jameis Winston continues to be a free agent, and Cam Newton continues to be a free agent, and eventually the Bengals released Andy Dalton, but he was still on their roster for a little while. It was originally reported Winston was seeking, you know, $20, $30 million a year. That maybe is a little bit out of the Bears' price range, but if the quarterback marketplace keeps going and all three of those guys keep becoming free agents. I mean, you could anticipate that somebody and perhaps Winston among them would have come cheaper. Again, not $1.1 million, but maybe more in that $7 million range that Andy Dalton ended up getting from the Cowboys. Or even if it was 10, you know, I, I would rather pay $10 million for a better quarterback than have to give up a fourth round pick and still pay Nick Foles $17 million guaranteed, even if it's spread over three seasons. And it's not so much specifically like, 
Jameis Winston would have been great, or Cam Newton would have been great, or Andy Dalton would have been great. They each have their flaws and their concerns coming into this. I mean, you've got Jameis Winston coming off of a a record interception season. To me, that's a little bit short-sighted, just given that this was his first season with more than 20 interceptions. It obviously spiked in a huge way in 2019, and he is going to throw a lot of turnovers, but he also threw for 5,000 yards and 33 touchdowns and could very easily be the most productive passer in Chicago Bears history in his first season. He led the NFL in 319 passing yards per game, so part of that was... An, an unusual spike in interceptions for Winston, and I think he's a lot better quarterback than Bears fans give him credit for. Similarly with Cam Newton, injuries are a concern. We don't know exactly what his health is going to be, and that's part of why he is still currently a free agent. So like I said, it's not about them like individually, specifically, but this general idea that of the quarterback market, there were options available, including Andy Dalton now being released. But even before these guys were released, if we're talking about the contracts that they had before, you know, Cam Newton had a, was left with one year, $19.1 million of non-guaranteed money left on his deal. So he wasn't it wasn't guaranteed to where if the Bears had tried to trade for him, they wouldn't have had to pay him all that up front. They could have potentially tried to negotiate it down, but still... $19.1 million non-guaranteed compared to the $17 million that, that Foles was going to get over multiple years. Again, I understand that the Bears may not have been able to squeeze that in all in the first year like that with Newton, so there's there's some different challenges with that sort of a deal. But similar thing with Andy Dalton. He was at $17 million non-guaranteed left on his deal, nothing that you were going to be totally locked into if you wanted to release him at some point. $17 million is still going to go to Nick Foles over the course of the next three seasons. It's not all going to happen at once. That makes it easier for the Bears to pull it off, but Dalton ends up getting released and signing for just $7 million, the same price Nick Foles was. And I can guarantee you, Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, and Andy Dalton are far superior quarterbacks to Nick Foles. If you, Your Nick Foles argument is limited to Super Bowl MVP and a couple of good playoff runs, but he's had more games of bad play than good play, and all three of those other quarterbacks have been consistent NFL starters for their entire careers, whereas Foles has struggled anytime he hasn't been in that Philadelphia Eagles system. Yes, it's a similar system to what the Bears are going to play in Chicago. Yes, him having that system knowledge is an advantage during these quarantine times when players can't work out and meet with the coaches directly and start practicing as much with their teammates, That is an advantage, but I don't think it's such a strong advantage that it makes him a better option than any of those three other quarterbacks. Even the Bears kind of downplayed some of that as a factor. Nagy said, yes, it's nice, it's good, he comes in advanced, but it wasn't like they they were like, this is why we traded for Nick Foles. No, they traded for Nick Foles because, according to them, they think he was the best option that was available and, and really think he can be a difference maker in this offense. And maybe he very well can. He has shown he is capable of it. But if I'm trying to give my team the best position to win, then I'm going to get the best quarterback I possibly can. And in terms of consistency and higher levels of play, we've seen Jameis Winston, Cam Newton, and Andy Dalton all be consistently better quarterbacks than Nick Foles through their careers. And it just feels like the Bears were a little bit quick to not only still pay a similar amount in guaranteed money to Nick Foles, but also having to give up a fourth-round pick in the process when Dalton, Winston, and Newton were all free agents on top of the other guys that were already free agent quarterbacks that happened earlier in this quarterback market. It just feels like the Bears locked in on Nick Foles without necessarily fully putting their team in the best position to have the best quarterback. 
again, just looking at it from a, a process standpoint, it felt like the process could have been better. The results could still be exactly what the Bears want, and that's perfectly fine. I'm just trying to say, when we look back at this in hindsight, will we think the Bears made the best decision given what was available? I, I'd, I'd kind of put my stake on it now that, no, in the future we're going to look back and say, man, the Bears had an opportunity to add one of these five, six quarterbacks and instead ended up with Nick Foles. And I think the chances are it won't play out as well as it might for some of those other quarterbacks that could have been available. Certainly there would have been challenges to you know, not trading for Nick Foles right away and not having a quarterback solution in place, even heading into the NFL draft. If the Bears wanted to play it out that long, obviously they want to kind of put this fire under Mitchell Trubisky. So there's a lot of nuance to this and a lot of different factors that go beyond quality of play of the quarterback. But I do think quality of the quarterback needs to be the number one factor. And I don't necessarily know that it was. Or if it was, I I don't think it was weighed properly in terms of the evaluation of some of these other quarterbacks. But general managers are paid to make the tough decisions, and Ryan Pace certainly hasn't shied away from any of that. And he made a a couple of them in the 2020 NFL Draft as well. One aspect we haven't quite gotten to yet, I'd still like to touch on Jalen Johnson's shoulder injury situation. We'll look at what his past has been in terms of recoveries and surgeries, and what his most recent updates have been in terms of being ahead of schedule. That's next. On Locked On Bears. So last week on Locked On Bears, we talked to Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus about what makes Jalen Johnson so special, why PFF was particularly high on him. I know Austin had actually interviewed Jalen Johnson on his podcast. They had actually gone through some of their Utah All-22 tape together and had Jalen Johnson like break down his game for them on the podcast, which was really cool, and it kind of gave you a good sense of how smart Jalen Johnson is. And so we, we raved about Jalen Johnson for like 20, 25 minutes on the podcast last week, and we didn't really get into specifically the concerns with him when it comes to his injury history. And that's part of why he fell all the way to the Bears with the 50th overall pick, and it's sort of the big main red flag that gives you some concern about him in the NFL. So I thought it would be important to kind of get to it now and and actually hear from what Jalen Johnson said recently about where he is in his recovery. So to take you back through this injury saga here, it actually started Jalen Johnson's senior year of high school in California over in Fresno is where he's from and that's where he's actually been working, doing his rehab right now. And in high school at Central East, he tore a labrum in his shoulder as a senior. It was like in November of that season and had to have surgery on it. And then comes in his freshman year at Utah, still plays 506 snaps, but then has to go in after the season and get a second surgery on that same shoulder about 13 months after. I think the first one was in November of 2016. And then a second surgery on the same shoulder in December of 2017. So it was after the season, but before their bowl game. It felt like he needed to just get that cleaned up. And I would assume he played, from what I've been able to read and report, you know, see reporting on, he kind of played through it. Like the first surgery got him good enough to play and he thought it was fine, but then sort of re-aggravated a little bit and again, played through it, but had to get it cleaned up at the end of the year. Just didn't want to do anything more to it. Then for the most part was pretty clean 
through his sophomore and most of his junior season, played 878 snaps as a sophomore and then in junior, 688. So it's not like injuries limited his ability to be on the field, but he suffered a torn labrum in his shoulder early in 2019 season. It's like September-ish, had the torn labrum, played through it the entire season, played all 13 games, played a good you know 688 snaps, like I said, not really missing much time in there, and actually goes through the whole offseason and performs at the Combine with the torn labrum in his shoulder. Now, this is the opposite shoulder, and then had surgery after the Combine in March. So you've got one shoulder with two surgeries in 2016 and 2017, and now the other shoulder just having surgery in March after suffering the injury in September. So you can see why it's a red flag with with both shoulders having that labrum. And I am not a doctor, and I think I feel like I say that once a week on this podcast. I am not a doctor, and I'm not going to pretend to know what kind of long-term impacts labrum surgery and, you know, that sort of an injury on a shoulder can have. It's certainly not good, you know, (laughs) it can't be too positive of a thing, but it sounds like he's had some success in dealing with this in the past, and almost more importantly, he's been able to play through it, which is critical. I mean, yes, he's needed it cleaned up, and yes, it's still not good, but he's tough, and he performed at the Combine through it. He's, he kind of said that he didn't perform quite as well at the Combine in part because of that. He thought he could have done better had his labrum been fully healed and had the surgery, but instead, we're, we're still talking about a very tough player and a player who's not going to let these injuries necessarily define him. And so far, based on what I've heard, he's doing well in his recovery. So in the days leading up to the NFL draft, he was a guest on Sirius XM's NFL radio with Bruce Murray and Bill Polian, and they asked him about the shoulder injury, what the rehab process has been like, and how far along he is. Your doctor has sent out a note to NFL teams that you should be good to go whenever that may be. Uh, how has the rehab been, and, and how does the body feel right now? Well, the rehab's been good. Honestly, just taking it slow, but also pushing it as well. Um, I mean, I feel good. I'm starting to get my legs back under me, being able to run a little more, being able to work out now. So, I mean, just starting to get my stamina back, get my legs back, and then just continue to go to PT um, a couple times a week and then also do some on my own. But, I mean, honestly, I feel good for where I'm at in terms of going on seven weeks. Um, But I feel really good. Jalen, the PT has got to be a plus for you because lots of guys can't get to gyms because they're not open. You've got an opportunity to go into – does the PT come to you or do you go to a facility? I go to a facility um, a couple times a week, and then they send me home with some things to do as well. But I am able to get to a facility. They got any weights in there that you can – Knock around with? Yeah, but I mean, I can't. I can't do too much with him right now. I don't have that much strength to really um, gain some muscle mass or anything like that. But um, just working on my shoulder. It was suggested that you're ahead of schedule again. That comes from the doctor that performed the surgery, Doctor Peter Millet. Um, in your mind, are you ahead of schedule based on what your expectations were? Number one. And in conversations with teams, as they ask you to evaluate your health right now, how much has that been a focal point when you've talked with them? Um, it's been pretty big because, um, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I had to get surgery after the combine, and um, I had to be able to come in right away and being able to contribute and be available. So, I mean, that's a point of concern for them, making sure that I'm available to be able to play, to be able to add value to the team. But as far as my physical standpoint, 
I know I'm ahead of schedule in terms of my rehab and where I'm supposed to be at six weeks, going on seven weeks. And then compared to my other shoulders, I feel way stronger this go-around than on my last go-around. Um, so, I mean, for me personally, I'm able to feel that I'm ahead of schedule. And also anybody who re- examines my shoulder can tell that I'm ahead of schedule based on my movements and the strength that I have in it. Again, that audio courtesy of Sirius XM's NFL radio. That voice you heard at the beginning was Bruce Murray, and the other guy asking questions was former NFL executive Bill Polian. So it sounds like, yes, he's been through this before. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to rehab the injury, which is a part of the process and, and an important step in there. And some guys, you know, they're not really sure how to make sure that all the muscle groups around it are getting the right strength and you're not overcompensating in one way or another. So the silver line there is that the fact that he's been through it on the other shoulder, he knows what to expect and how to best handle it with this shoulder. But of course, the good news there that he is ahead of schedule, even just at the time, what he say, six or seven weeks removed from the surgery. That interview, I believe, was conducted on April 20th. So we're a few weeks beyond that. Not, not a guy that would be ready to step on the field for, you know, rookie minicamp or anything just yet from what it sounds like. But at the very least, trending in the right direction when we talk about some sort of potential training camp, maybe, if that's something that is going to be allowed by the time we get to August. But it seems like the Bears were fairly assured of that shoulder recovery, despite not being able to get those rechecks. Their doctors would would have been able to meet with him at the combine where he actually performed and did every single drill, even did uh, 15 reps on the bench press with a torn labrum. I just, I cannot imagine being able to do that. But Regardless, I think being able to meet with him at the Combine with the doctors was helpful. Even though the doctors couldn't get their medical red checks, I think the Bears got enough information from him through the rest of the process to feel comfortable going off of that and and saying, yes, let's roll with him moving forward. And at least feeling like, you know, it's not one of those lower body injuries that's going to affect his explosiveness as a corner, his ability to change direction and some of those important things. Obviously, a shoulder is still going to be very important for any football player. You're talking about tackling, you're talking about contact, but at least... It's not a torn ACL. It's not his knees blowing out in both knees or his Achilles that's so incredibly difficult to recover from. Again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to, I can't say for sure that how much better or worse these different types of injuries are, but I, can, I think I can see where the Bears feel pretty good about this and also where there was a, a two year span in between those injuries occurring. So it wasn't like it was every single year the same shoulder. Yeah, it's it's two separate shoulders, which is good. It, it wasn't the same injury, except for getting it cleaned up the first time. But it seems like that shoulder has been great ever since 2017. This happened to be the other shoulder. I don't know if there's much of a direct connection there, but hasn't been other injuries holding him back either. It doesn't seem to be a consistent issue with hamstrings popping up all the time and nicks and bruises that are keeping him out of games. He has been available. You know, they say the best ability is availability. He has had that availability, and I think that's a big reason why the Bears were comfortable drafting him at 50, on top of then, of course, just how good of a cornerback prospect he is, and I think he's going to be a fun one to watch in Chicago. With the bold decision to take number 33 for his rookie jersey, that's that's bold, and uh, he's got some big shoes to fill with Charles Tillman's jersey number on the back, but it'll be fun to see how Jalen Johnson steps into that role and uh, tries to be a little bit of an alpha in that secondary.
if we get any more injury updates from the Bears at some point on some of these guys, you can bet we'll be bringing you all the latest and greatest Chicago Bears news and analysis right here on Locked On Bears. So make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast on whatever app you're using right now to keep up with all of our episodes all off-season long. We're going to be turning our attention here soon to some of the Bears' future opponents and looking at what they've done differently this offseason. We still have to get through the rest of the Bears' draft picks as well, breaking down their games. We'll get through Travis Gibson and Darnell Mooney and Kendall Vildor all in the coming days and weeks. So we'll have plenty more coming for you all throughout the offseason. We'll give you your distraction from this crazy, weird, weird world we're living in. Hopefully a little bit of an escape Hopefully a little bit of a release and hopefully an opportunity to bear down.